Welcome to The Screen, the podcast series by Breast Screen Victoria. We want to see women empowered by information because when you're informed, you can make the best choice for your health. We provide free mammograms to the women of Victoria aged 40 and over. Through the early detection of breast cancer, we hope to offer women the best chance of recovery. While the majority of women who come along to the Breast Screen Victoria program are given the all clear, unfortunately a small percentage will hear the words, you have breast cancer. This is naturally a scary experience, but the positive side to this is that it's likely that the cancer is small and you're in the best position for a positive outcome. Today we're talking to Kirsten Pilati, the CEO of Breast Cancer Network Australia, and Kate Keogh-Murray, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in December last year, 2017, through the Breast Screen Victoria program. Welcome, Kirsten and Kate. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Kirsten, let's start by talking about survival rates, because this has actually increased significantly over the last 20 years or so, and this is partly because we've improved the rates of early detection. How many women actually survive breast cancer these days? So what we know is that at least 90% of those women who are diagnosed with early breast cancer will go on to survive, and that's looking at five-year survival rates. And that continues to increase year on year, and uh, it's been one of the greatest things for us to be able to highlight in the breast cancer area. And it means that there's more complexities to life for those people. But the very best news is that early detection is making a difference and treatments and new treatments are making a difference every day. That is really good news. But aside from that, we don't want to detract from the people who are diagnosed with breast cancer. As I mentioned, it can be quite scary and it's something that no one wants to hear ever. However, there are wonderful organisations like the Breast Cancer Network Australia who are providing vital support for women and their families. Can you talk us through what happens once a woman is diagnosed? So to hear those words, you have breast cancer, is a time that women describe to us when their world tips upside down. And I think it's really important for people to realise that that day is a day that they will remember for the rest of their life. But it's also a day when they can't take everything in. And it's really important that we, at that moment in time, can step in and really give people only the information that they need to make the best decisions that are next for them. And uh, I think that there's many challenges for women at that point in time, including whether they go public or private. What we do know from our work with members is that at that moment in time, currently the system simply asks them, do you have private health insurance? And at that moment in time, if they answer yes, they're put on a conveyor belt of -of out-of-pocket costs and continued costs. And for BCNA, it's really important for people to realise that that day you're told, you actually do have time to make really important decisions that will impact you not straight away, but for the rest of your life. And that we want to be there to help people with kind of a decision tree, if you like, around these are the things that are most important for you to decide early on. And these are the things you can wait to read about or wait to know about. And I think that it's really important for people to reach out for help as quickly as possible and to not just take on board what someone else who may have been diagnosed 20 years ago is telling you. So make sure you get the very best information so that you can be 
empowered to make the very best decisions for yourself. Is there any pressure to go private or public in that circumstance? There is often pressure to go private because people have very different knowledge and understanding of the actual system itself. So, uh, you know, we hear reports of GPs, for example, saying, oh, you don't want to go public because there's long waiting lists. Well, in actual fact, there is very little waiting lists right across Australia for the treatment of cancer. And so it's important that people really get all the information to make the very best decisions for themselves. And uh, that's why BCNA is there. We're kind of that independent voice that's the voice of the women and the men who've been diagnosed rather than your family and friends who might have the very best of intentions, but um, it can often mislead you on some information. So we've made the decision to go public or private. What happens after that? So it's really important that we understand that everyone's experience is so different. I think when a young woman is diagnosed, she has very different decisions that she needs to make, some around fertility. Has she finished having a family? Has she in fact had a family at all? And then for older women, it's around reconstruction decisions and do they want to keep having operations? The complexity is very lifestyle driven. Do you live in a regional area and do you want to go to the surgeon who's closest to you or do you want to go into the metro area? So there's so many decisions to make. And so it's really important that you kind of think about what's important to you and then make the right decisions for you. You mentioned that it's so different for every woman who's diagnosed with breast cancer. You've made your decision about the medical team and then there's the treatment options because treatment is not all the same for everybody. Can we talk about some of the support that the Breast Cancer Network Australia provides? So at the point of diagnosis, we provide a resource called the My Journey Kit. What that is, is a resource that's been written by women for women to say, these are all the things I wish I'd known. And it's about the lived experience helping them. But it's also about making sure that we can put into the right language, what are the different treatments that may be considered. In the past, everyone would have had surgery, chemo and radiation, and they would all follow in that area. That is not the case anymore. So some women will have what we call neoadjuvant chemo. So they'll have chemo before surgery. So what happens to those women? quite often they are not having access to breast care nurses until they're going into the surgical area. So we want to make sure that they know that they need to reach out and ask for a breast care nurse very early on in their treatment. So what the My Journey Kit does is gives very practical advice for people, but also uses the voice and experiences of women. So things like, what should you take to hospital? A front fastening uh, nighty, something no one else would probably tell you about, but a woman will because she'll tell you that when that experience happens, it's so important. The very small things make a very big difference about how you feel. We actually provide the kits to everyone who is diagnosed through our program. How do you get all of that information into one small kit? It is a refining process and it's really difficult because you don't want to overwhelm people. You know, back when we first released this My Journey kit in 2005, there was no information. Now women will tell you they're overwhelmed by information. So we need to continually look at what is the best way to deliver the right information at the right time for our women. And I do want to note that, you know, 150 men are diagnosed with breast cancer every year. 
not through the breast screen program because they're not participating in that. But BCNA does help them as well and, and we provide them with very specific resources because they are dealing with breast cancer in a very different way. Kate, let's talk about your experience. You were diagnosed in December last year, 2017. This was through a routine screen with Breast Screen Victoria? Yes, it was. And had you been screening regularly and they found it in that screen? Uh, no, I'm, I was 51 when I was diagnosed. Um, my backstory is a little different from other people's. Um, my sister passed away from breast cancer in 2016 and um, my husband and I are raising her two kids and we're also living with his father because his daughter died from a brain tumour 10 months before my sister passed away. So we had to renovate our house. So my sister died, the kids moved in, we did a year-long renovation and we got to the end of that and it had been a very tumultuous two years and I had put all my stuff on the back burner. So cleared the decks a bit and I thought, right, now, time to look after me. So I started ticking off all the things, a pap smear, a, got my lung function and my mole check and mammogram and then it all came and to then a it was. stop. Was it a big shock? Uh, it was a shock to get the recall email, just flipped open my emails and there it was saying, we found something, please come back. Highly unlikely to be anything. Mm -hmm. But given uh, my family history, my mother had had breast cancer at my age. Uh, three women in one family is quite a high number. That's right. And so that was the shock when I got the diagnosis. It wasn't really a shock. I didn't have a denial, out-of-body experience that a lot of women describe. I, I just knew that it was going to be. That it was going to be cancer. Yeah, I did. Tell us about what's happened after that diagnosis. You had surgery fairly quickly. I did. The gentleman at breast screen, the doctor, who gave me my diagnosis, um, that's a terrible interview appointment. But I was very impressed with how he handled it. He was very matter-of-fact um, but compassionate and he was quite intuitive. Um, my reaction was anger. Uh, I was really angry that this was happening to my family again. Uh, and I just liked the cut of his jib. So I, I picked up his card, which was on the, the desk, and he said, I can fit you in tomorrow if you want to get rid of it. Wow, that quick. That quick. So I went to my GP that afternoon and she facilitated all of that and bud tests that evening and the next day I had a sentinel node biopsy and then later on that afternoon um, it was all removed. So a very quick transition from diagnosis to the removal. Can you tell me a little bit about the days and weeks after surgery? How did you feel through that process? Was it too fast for you to acknowledge it all? Did it hit a little bit later? No, I haven't had a big moment where the walls have come tumbling down. I was very relieved to have it, the tumour, out of my body. But there were a lot of events that rolled on from there, all the decisions that you have to make about your treatment. Um, unfortunately, my surgeon didn't get clear margins on the tumour, so I had to go back a week later for a re-excision. And clear margins, we mean the area around the tumour? Yes. The Australian standard is two millimetres. They like to have a clearance of two millimetres, and unfortunately, one part of my tumour ran up to the edge of what he'd excised. So my initial response was as I said, real anger, and that lasted until I got to the re-excision and then I started crying. Mm. And I probably cried for the next two months, <laughs> a lot. A natural reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I cried for Australia. Um, it was quite difficult because with a lot of kids in the house traumatised already from, from breast cancer, I had to do my crying in private and keep up a strong face in front of everybody. It was very challenging. Uh, I met my oncologist. That was the next step. 
and we had a, a, a long chat. Initially, her feeling was, you don't need to do chemotherapy. It's, your tumour was small. It was definitely early stage. You can just have radiotherapy and get on with your life. But when I discussed my family history with her and my circumstances, she thought it might be valuable to do what's called an oncotype test, which tests your specific tumour to see whether chemotherapy would have a curative value or not. So I did that and it came back as it would have. Wow. Um, so given this breast cancer had killed my sister and I was being told that there was clearly something going on in my family, genetic, I took a deep breath and, and I decided to do chemotherapy, which started in beginning of January. And is that completed now? Yes, that finished three months ago this week. Well done. Thank you. Yes, it was very hard, but you get through. So tell me a little bit about how your family and friends reacted to the news. As you said, it's, it's an unusual situation with your sister as well. How did they cope? Well, firstly, my kids, uh, initially when I told them, Everybody got sort of tears in their eyes, but we hastened to reassure them that uh, it was small, it had been caught early, that it wasn't like their mum, their auntie. She was a lot more advanced when she found her cancer. And uh, we told them the night before I was having the operation, the day I was diagnosed, and so I said, this time tomorrow it'll be gone. So that reassured everybody. My parents and my remaining sister were like me. They were very, very angry, upset, but really very angry. I couldn't tell my parents. I sent my husband to do that and my sister. I, I couldn't face it. They'd given so much of their lives to this disease. They'd lost a child. I just couldn't look them in the face with the news. And it's the people around you that do provide that support that's so great. It's lovely that your husband could do that for you because, as you say, sometimes you just can't do that yourself. That's right. He's been amazing. Though he did he did do the very typical male thing of, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. <laughs> so I gave him the pamphlet from the My Journey kit, uh, which is for carers, which specifically says, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you need to read this. <laughs> and then after that, he was fine. Is there a pamphlet for other people that we can hand out to? I think sometimes... People have the best intentions, but they just don't say the right thing, do they? No, they don't. I, I was very lucky. Most of my close friends were really on the ball and uh, they were they were upset, of course. Some of them were a bit weepy. Some of them held back for a few weeks. And that's talked about in the My Journey Kit as well, how you'll experience a variety of reactions. Um, but all of them came good in the end. I did have a few of the, uh, oh, well, I had a friend of a friend who went vegan and, you know, she was supposed to be dead in three months and she's still alive six weeks later. Not helpful. Uh, no, I not said thank advice. you, but I, you can't tell me stories like that. I, they're not good. <laughs> you raise a good point, though, on a personal level when a colleague was diagnosed recently. It was difficult to know how best to support her. As a fellow colleague, do I keep her in the loop with what's happening at work? Do I give her time to just recuperate and do what she needs to at home? Is there a, some advice for people like us? What can we do to support these women? So BCNA has a whole lot of information called helping a friend or colleague about that. I think the best advice I can give to people is you need to ask the person what they want and then deliver that and not assume that everyone wants the same 
So some people want to go to work and never talk about their breast cancer. Other people want to. And it will change throughout their whole treatment experience and even post-treatment. So it's really important to have those open conversations. If you're managing staff, that's another real opportunity for opening up those conversations and saying, you know, do you need time off? Do you want to work through this? Because what your experience has been with cancer really influences the way you deal with someone who's been diagnosed recently. And from the woman's perspective, they're in control, if you like, of the treatment, but everyone around them is not. They're not in the meetings. They're not hearing the oncologists or the surgeons give that information. And it can be really difficult. So some really simple tips for people is around setting up communications trees so that the woman who is in treatment is not having to tell the same story a hundred million times. Uh, You know, and that's why blogs are so important now. The one thing that comes up, no matter who you talk to, is that the women hate people looking at them with pity in their eyes. And it's really important and it's really hard to do. But if you can really catch yourself making sure that your connection to the person who's been diagnosed with breast cancer or any cancer is real and that you live in that moment and that you are not looking forward and going, oh my God, the poor thing. They don't want that. What they want is their disease to be acknowledged, for their hardship to be acknowledged not to be told about other people's experience because everyone else's experience is different. Just let them do the exploring themselves. And if they want your advice, they'll ask for it. They'll ask for it. Well, Kate, let me ask you, (laughs) is there anything that you can credit to getting you through that time? First, let me just say, I think the best responses for me and from the experience I've now had from talking to other people on the BCNA online forum is something along the lines of, well, that sucks. What can I do to help? is a good starting point. And even better is a more pointed delivery of help along the lines of, can I bring you some food? Can I walk your dog? Shall I come over and mow your lawn? Yes, something more specific. I have heard that, that if you ask the question, what can I do? Well, that's very open-ended, isn't it? And sometimes Mm. you might not be in the position to think, well, actually, what would help? So is it better if someone just brings the meal around or... Uh, it can Walk be. You can be, though you can end up with a very full freezer. Of spaghetti bolognese. Yes, <laughs> the same meal. <laughs> yes. Um, it's quite good if you've got the wherewithal, once you're over the shock and, and you start to gather your thoughts about how you're going to get through the treatment, and everybody's circumstances are different. If you've got children, you might need some really practical help with pickups and drop-offs and things like that. If you live on your own, you might need lifts. You know, there's a huge range of things that can be done. It's quite good to appoint a friend to handle all that. I know there are apps that organise meals and jobs that you can do. There are lots of resources out there to, to do that. I think often people offer to help at the beginning when they hear about the diagnosis and often the woman is not in a position to say anything at that point. So I would say come back every two or three weeks and say, how are you going? Can I do something for you today? Did you find that there was a lot of offers of support at the initial time of diagnosis, but then a few weeks later it dropped off? I think I was very lucky that I had a good group of friends who were really on the ball. And when I was going through chemotherapy and really not able to do a lot, I'm at the other end of my treatment now. And 
that's all fallen away. Um, but that's okay because I'm now more capable of doing these things myself. But BCNA actually provides support at this time as well, don't they? When you do return to a somewhat normal life, if I can use that word, and the support dwindles away a little bit and you're left with all of those tasks that you had pre-diagnosis. Mm. How does BCNA help in this circumstance? We want to be known as kind of the safety net, if you like. And, and what women describe to us is the day that they're told by their medical team, go and live your life, you know, for those women who had been diagnosed with early breast cancer. They describe it as standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down and not knowing if there is a safety net because exactly that. Food has stopped. Work colleagues expect you to be back to normal. The family hand back the vacuum cleaner and say, mum, I've been cleaning the house for a year. You better get back to the cool mum that I had before. And it's the first time the women actually have time to reflect on what they've just been through because when they're going through treatment, they're dealing with the radiation every day at the same time to get to the hospital to deal with the car park. To the, 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 like everything is just so controlled for them that all of a sudden they have this time to reflect and actually that is the time when the psychosocial issues or the emotional issues really come through and there is often not the same support network there for people. What I find completely fascinating about the online network is that 2am when women may be awake at night because of financial reasons, because they're worried about all these bills that are now coming in and how they're going to pay for this, or for their kids that have now two years later asked a random question that's kind of tripped them up and they weren't expecting, that there's always someone, hot flashes, they're all there changing their sheets in the middle of the night, but that there's always someone there to answer the questions for them. And I think this peer-to-peer support during this time of what we call survivorship, it's a time for when the new person needs to be created, is really having someone else there who truly understands is really important and that's what we want to be there for. Case, you're nodding. You've obviously used this online network. Has it been a good support for you? It's been extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. 2am online forum comments? Oh yeah. (laughs) We have parties in the middle of the night sometimes. (laughs) Online parties. Now, I um I came across the forum because I kept Googling my questions. I'm pretty sensible with Dr. Google. I don't go crazy. But, you know, these questions would come up and the first results that were always coming up was this BCNA online forum and I'd click on and after you've looked about three times, you get a little question saying, would you like to join? And I didn't want to. I didn't feel like, you know, I wanted to be a, a joiner in on this. You know, I was so cross and angry. But in the end, curiosity got the better of me. I needed an answer to this question at two o'clock in the morning. So I joined and I've been on it regularly ever since. And it's been so supportive. It's the greatest hive mind you could ever think of. Funnily enough, a lot of the doctors have said, uh, and the medical people have said, oh, be careful of those forums. It's full of people who, you know, have the worst experiences. And and it's just not true. The gamut of experiences is huge. And there are plenty of moderate voices saying, actually, I had virtually no trouble going through chemotherapy. Or, you know, I had this terrible diagnosis, but I'm here 10 years later and I'm doing fine. I don't really think the medical community understands what it's like. And the great pleasure of it is, of course, is as you move through treatment, initially you're asking for all the questions, but then somebody comes along behind you and starts asking the questions that you asked two months before, and you're able to answer them with real up-to-date 
information uh, that's current and fresh in your mind. And then you start helping and that feels so good to help Mm. other people who are struggling with exactly the same things that you're struggling with. And I think the other really important thing on the online network is that it's safe and it's private and people need to register to be in there. And we don't allow for people to be spruiking products or services. It is a real peer-to-peer support service. And also we can kind of myth bust And it's actually mostly the women driving the myth busting on the online network, which is so special. There are things on there that culturally we don't talk about. So around the impact of sexual function post chemo and post other treatment, that we have this amazing group on there, the Dry Vagina group, that actually openly talk about what are the side effects. And you know what? When we go to forums and we talk about it, everyone goes, yep. That's exactly what's happening. And all of a sudden the husbands are like, right, now I get it. Mm. Now I get what has been going on for a year. And within our community, we find talking about sex really difficult. Kirsten, you've actually just toured around Australia recently interviewing men and women about their experience with breast cancer treatment and services. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So this is our State of the Nation report and the baby is finally being born. It's been 18 months. Uh, So we began with a member survey of 10,300 women and men who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. We know that this is the biggest research of consumers that has ever been held in Australia. And what it did was it looked at what are the gaps in support and information that our members still have. So they are members who are in treatment or very newly diagnosed in treatment or um, living life post or with metastatic disease. From that, I then travelled to every state and territory and spoke with 3,500 people about what have been some of their gaps in services in a more rigorous way. So what our report is doing is looking at what is it that we have achieved in 20 years of consumer activism? What can we tick off and say that's fantastic? This is no longer an issue, but what are the issues ongoing for our people? So for example, women with metastatic disease, many of them have never seen a breast care nurse And it's kind of bizarre because those are the women where their disease has moved to other parts of their body and where this will actually be a terminal disease for them eventually. But they... They're probably the ones most in need of a breast care nurse. So what does a breast care nurse actually do? So a breast care nurse will really help a woman navigate the system and it's a complex system. They will also provide them with uh, links to great support services such as BCNA and give them a lot of psychosocial care. One of the things that we've found through State of the Nation is that there is so much need for breast care nurses that we do need more investment in that area, not only for the women with early breast cancer, but also for the metastatic disease. And we're working closely with the federal governments to try and resolve some of those issues. And it's one where McGrath Foundation and BCNA work really closely together because we can both see the great outcomes of a breast care nurse being part of a woman's experience. We also found the disparity of care that continues to happen across this country. So we have guiding principles and uh, best practice all outlined and articulated. But when you are a woman diagnosed with breast cancer in a regional area, what we do know is that your outcomes are less than that of a woman diagnosed in the metro area. So what we need to make sure is that we can capture those people who 
who are most in need and make sure that they get the very best care possible. So our State of the Nation report was always about working with the system. BCNA has never been an organisation that wants to just throw stones and, and complaints, but we want to be part of the solution. And we really know that actually women's voices and their experiences will find a solution that's much more efficient and effective for the system than often the bureaucrats can find. Were you surprised by any of the feedback? One of the things that probably surprised me the most is that we've become more fiercely independent as women. And as part of that, we find it much harder to ask for help. So when you look at those uh, single women who, you know, don't have the family support, people reach out to them and say, can I help? They, they found it really hard to ask for help or accept help. And as a fierce feminist, I kind of loved it on the one front that here is so many independent women around our country. But then I thought, oh, gosh, there are some vulnerabilities to that independence. Maybe one of the biggest ones was when people talked to me about their radiation out-of-pocket costs that they were not expecting. And, uh, you know, $22,000, where who on earth has $22,000 sitting in their bank account? When no one gives you an option to go public, when there are plenty of options to go public, when no one has the conversation with you that this is what you should expect, you have your radiation, you go home and you literally go to the letterbox and open a bill for $22,000. It is outrageous and it cannot continue to happen. And we must hold people to account for not having those financial discussions. So Kirsten, let's talk about something else that BCNA does, the Field of Women event. What is that all about? So the Field of Women is about bringing the statistics of breast cancer to life in a really meaningful and powerful way. It will be held on August 12 at the MCG. It's uh, only the fourth or fifth time we've held the Field of Women here in Melbourne. It is a really powerful time. I think quite often the community can say, oh, you know, breast cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer, get so much. Is it too much? What this event does is shows the real impact that a breast cancer diagnosis has on our whole community. So 18,500 Australians will be diagnosed this year with breast cancer. And that is every year, year on year. So 18,000 800 women we want and men and their families to stand with us on the G in a moment where we can pay tribute to those whose lives we've lost, but also to help connect and rebuild the strength of those people who are going through it. And really importantly, acknowledging the support team that's required to get someone through a breast cancer diagnosis, whether they are women or men. And we do have 150 of the blue ponchos there. So we make sure that we represent those men who've been diagnosed every year as well. It's very hard to describe to people who haven't been there before what it's like, but probably what I can say to you is in the lead up, it'll all be fun and it'll be amazing and we'll sit there in our pink ponchos and there'll be kisses and, oh God, I haven't seen you in ages and all of these kind of connections. And then when we go and stand on the field, when we ask people to raise their hands who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, it is like the air is sucked out of the G just for this one moment in time. And it's a moment for us to reflect and to pay tribute to all of those who have been through the disease, not just the person who's been diagnosed, but for their family and friends. Um, and so it's much more powerful than 
it may appear. And in fact, someone just said to me the other day, why on earth would you go and put a poncho on and go and stand on the MCG? What on earth is that about? But until you're there, it's hard to describe that moment when it's complete solidarity. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah. And for a woman to know that she's not alone, you, you can't buy that. So, Kate, will you be there on the day? I was not going to do that. I, at the beginning, it was a bit of a, oh, I don't want to join in all this stuff. But I've heard so many people talk about how moving and uh, profound it is for them. So I've very much reversed my position on that. And I want to do that. And that's part of my plan to do some of these events so that I can, it can help me put this experience into place in my life. So what does life look like for you now? Is there a new normal? Well, I'm really very much at the beginning of that. It's only been seven weeks since I had my mastectomy reconstruction. It's still very much in a post-operative stage. Um, I don't know what it looks like. It is really hard. I don't feel like I've integrated the experience of having breast cancer into my person yet. Uh, so a lot of the work that's going to happen in the next six to 12 months is mental uh, and emotional. I've got to work out how to be now that I'm different. My breast surgeon said right at the beginning when I was very resistant and angry that this will change you and I didn't want it to, but it does. Uh, and I want the change to be a change for good. So that's what I'm going to be looking at personally over the next 12 months. Things are returning to normal. The vacuum, you know, is coming back into my hands. All those chores are waiting for you. That's right. Um, and, of course, the other thing is I'm looking to rebuild my physical strength because uh, breast cancer treatment takes a lot of physical strength from you very quickly. I've just started an exercise physiology program, uh, so there'll be a lot of fitness, all that kind of thing going on. So just working on my restoration of myself, but also putting the pieces of the puzzle back in, in a new way. I think that's really valuable to acknowledge that it is a mental game as well as a physical game. Very much so. What words of advice would you have for someone who's newly diagnosed? We are very lucky in Australia. We've got a really good healthcare system and by and large, breast cancer is very well understood and there are very clearly defined paths of treatment that you'll have. So it's very easy to say, don't be afraid. And that's ridiculous because, of course, you're afraid it's cancer. But you will be looked after every step of the way. And there are great resources from wherever you want to take them, from, from the BCNA, from Breast Screen, from the Cancer Council. There are support groups. There's lots of literature, breast care nurses. So don't resist and try not to stress too much. Don't be too afraid. I think a lot of the things that women who have breast cancer, who are diagnosed, they remember the previous generation's experience. I remember my mother's reaction to chemotherapy. It was very different then to it is now. And treatments are much more targeted. So, And there are many more drugs to handle the side effects. Nobody can tell you that you'll be okay, but you will be treated to an incredibly high standard. And so just take a deep breath and put one foot in front of the other and trust in your medical team. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. My pleasure.
And Kirsten, thank you. And for all the work that BCNA does. And I want to say that people can reach out to BCNA for anything that they need in in relation to breast cancer. And I think it's really important that people know that survivorship is so high if we can get people into breast screen, into knowing their breasts, their look and feel, and making sure that if they feel anything, that they go and see a GP. And if they feel dismissed by that, because what we did find in State of the Nation is that young women were often dismissed at the GP when turning up with symptoms. They know their body better than anyone else. Just continue to push through to get that. But Breast Green is such an important partner of BCNA. Uh, We can't thank you enough for all of the support and please get your mates to uh, have their mammogram every two years. Thanks, Kirsten. And remember to come and say hello to the Breast Green Victoria van at the Field of Women event on Sunday 12th of August at the MCG. If you want to know more about that event, head along to the website bcna.org.au. If you're a woman aged between 50 and 74 and you haven't had a breast screen in the last two years, maybe it's time to book that appointment. It takes 10 minutes, it's with a woman, you don't need a doctor's referral, and it's free. Call us on 13 20 50 or visit our website breastscreen.org.au. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thanks for listening.